I believe the Lord is attempting to put that longing back into the church's heart. Show me your glory, God. We've been too busy for it. We've been too distracted for it. And now I believe the Lord is placing that through circumstances and situations and opposition that you and I don't particularly care about. And unless we understand what God's doing, we might get discouraged. And so this is what this morning's message is all about. If that's your heart cry, God, show me your glory. Then don't tell God how to do it. Don't tell him how to get you from point A to point B. Just let him do it. Show me your glory. Can you imagine what would happen to the Church of America if they truly saw the glory of God? Not what man calls, but what God calls. Takes the blinders from our eyes and shows us his glory in this nation. Lord, show us your glory. Show me your glory, God. Take it from show us to show me when you're alone. God, show me your glory. Lord, I need your glory. Nate Gebhardt, take us before the Lord. And Nate, when you do, remember a Joe Torella, I think. He has a physical need. He needs touched by God. All right, well, if you've been in the things of God at any length of time, you know that the Word of God tells us that God's ways are not our ways. They're just not. So whatever way you're thinking, the answer's going to come, or whatever way you're thinking, most likely God will do. It's not going to happen. God's going to do things His way. And so we want to look at this this morning. Hopefully, um, you won't be stuck in this discouragement or something as maybe as sometimes as I look at the American church and then I look at the America that we have now things are just so bad opposition is so great it looks absolutely hopeless and so times when you do that you can lose confidence in the church or in God or in the word of God and when that happens we're in deep trouble and I believe actually that's where a kind of America is Because America has just been lying on a beach somewhere, really not involved in the gospel. We've just been kind of sucking up everything that this land can give us. All the goodies, all the fun, all the money, all whatever. And kind of just lost our focus. Now I believe God has given that focus back. Actually, this morning's message is titled, Nourishment. Nourishment, and you'll see when we get there. 1 Peter 2.9, this is the opening text. Talking about you and I. When I talk about the church, I'm talking about you. Okay, that's what we are. You, uh, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That should have happened to you and I if you are a born-again Christian. His own special people. We are special because we belong to God. That's what makes us special. Uh, A museum, and we've seen this in L.A. when we would go visit Jonathan. A museum can be filled with ordinary things. can be filled with a hat or a cane or shoes. But they are significant or special because they belong to somebody famous. Humphrey Bogart wore that hat. Ooh. Okay, so I mean, it has the sign, and you know, he wore this in um, some uh, movie, he, The Big Sleep, or something, whatever he was in. And so that gives it some significance, makes it a lot more special than the hat that I wear. It's just the way it is. That's the way we are. They talked about President Obama. When he was sworn into office, he used the Bible, which was great. But they talk about the Bible is the exact Bible that President Lincoln used. And so that has some significance, has some weight. So God takes ordinary people, and because He has taken them, they become special in the hands of God. That's you and I, a peculiar people. Deuteronomy 7, 7 tells us this. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor chose you, because you are more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord simply loved you. It's not like God was waiting for you to come to age because you are going to be the answer to the gospel in America. It's not that reason at all. 
He chose you because most likely we are the most feeble, the fewest. This is what he's saying to the Jews. And I simply chose you because I loved you. Not what you can do for me. Not because you can sing better than that one, preach better than this one, play better than those. I simply chose you because I decided to love you. That was your cue. You must not be in tune this morning. Really, seriously. And God says, here's why I chose you. So that you should show forth the praises of Him. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Showing forth, the definition of that simply means to publish abroad. Your life should be publishing abroad praises of Him. Your life should be. Not your own praises, but His. Your life should show forth publish abroad His praises, how wonderful He is, and how much He means to you. How He is trustworthy, what He has done for your life, and you give Him honor and glory and praise through your life. I think we failed at that. Now I heard it said, um, everybody, I heard it said now, this is what I've been hearing lately, everybody now needs to be a preacher. Everybody. It doesn't mean you run off to seminary but needs now to be a preacher, and I believe this. That our condition and our, is so urgent, our nation is so lost, everybody now in this place ought to start proclaiming the Word of God like never before through your life and give Him honor and glory through your life. And we know that this is really not happening, and so we want to see why, and so we're going to look into the Word of God. Acts 26, verse 13 tells us this. At midday... O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. And this is what God is attempting the church to do. To get off the beach, get out of the hammock, and start standing. Start standing for the cause of Christ. And he says, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Do you understand? God has a purpose and a reason why you have come to God. A purpose. Not just to lounge around and suck up all the blessings. God has a purpose for you, for your life. I've appeared unto thee for this purpose. If you are born again, if you are a true saint of God, then you can declare God has appeared unto you. He has taken the blinders off your eyes. Now you understand I must be born again. Now God's given you the reason why you're saved at this time, alive right now, in the condition of our nation, for this purpose. And then you're going, okay, God, what is that purpose? What is that? As you get the sand off you and pull your beach towel away and start getting your weapons of warfare and getting back in God's army for a purpose. People don't like purposes. That means commitment. That means labor. That means work. Maybe that's why you're quiet. But he says, rise. Stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister. Well, I'm not a minister. I've never went to Bible school. That's man's way. I'm talking about what God has called you to be. A peculiar person. You should be a walking billboard for God. You should be. And we know that we're not. We know that too. He says, I will make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto them, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Here's what we are called to do. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Enough beach time. God says, get up, there's a purpose. And so now he's doing this, whether you like it or not, in America. America is changing, is it not? And it's not changing for good, right? 
It's getting uncomfortable on that beach. It's not as comfortable as it was. And so as God starts to shake the church, hopefully He'll start to truly put that song as a longing in your heart. Oh God, I'm so sorry, Lord. Forgive me of the times I've wasted. And God, show me Your glory! More than just a song. An appeal. A desperate appeal. God, show me Your glory. I didn't realize, Lord, the role that I play in this. And I believe that's our calling. But a lot of us, if not all of us, are just like Moses. When God starts to stir, starts to put His finger on people's lives, I've set you apart for this. That's what sanctified means. Being sanctified for the call of God. The air that's in your lungs is given by God for His purpose. For His purpose. The job you have just sustains you while you work for God. Should be. But like Moses, you and I, Exodus 4.1, Moses answered and said, um, But uh, behold, uh, they won't believe me. <clears throat> they won't believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And that's exactly what they'll do to us. And, it, but, and, and these years of silence, really anything that Moses was doing was most likely preaching only to sheep, actual physical sheep. Moses had to deal with all the discouragement and sense of failure and condemnation accumulated on him for 40 years. Remember? He tried to do something for God and murdered the Egyptian and tried to bury him in a shallow grave. They found out it was him and off he ran. And for 40 years, he said, oh man, I really really messed up. What a failure I am. God will never use me again. Just like the current condition of the church. That's like us. However far back the American church has decided to turn, it has turned. And we've lost what God has given us. You and I. I'm not just talking about you, catch up with me. I'm saying, no, you and I. We're in this together. 4.10 in Exodus says that Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord. And here comes all the excuses. I'm not eloquent. Neither herefore too, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Excuse after excuse after excuse. So you can stay on the beach. It isn't hard to see why he now believes he can't do what he clearly thought he could do before. Is he kills the Egyptian who's going to be the great deliverer or maybe whatever he thought. And now you see him all these years later saying, God, they're not going to listen to me. In fact, Lord, I can't even really um, really put to words to really think what to say. I can't do it. And that's where we are as a church as we look out there and it gets darker and darker. The light's growing less and less and less. And we say, what can we do? We don't have any ability. We don't have any strength. And there's good in that, up to a point. The same with Moses. It isn't that difficult to believe that he had simply lost confidence in himself and his ability to serve God. I'm there. And that's not a bad thing. To finally stand before Almighty God and come to a realization, God, I can't do this. It's beyond me. It's not even in me to know how to do it. That's a good place to be. But it can be carried too far. It doesn't become good. It becomes bad if it makes you lose confidence in God and what He can do through you and in you. It's good to come to a point and say, God, I can't cut, I can't cut the mustard. I can't do it. But you can't stay there. Then you've got to say, but God, I know that you can do all things through me, Lord, if I yield my members to you, God. And this is where God's trying to bring this nation of believers. Cannot lose confidence in God, church. Even tells us in Hebrews 10, 35, Cast not away there your, therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. 
Don't cast your confidence away in this, no matter if you're the only one in America that still believes in this. Don't cast it away, God says. He warns us. Don't do it. Confidence means, obviously it means that assurance. It also means freedom in speaking. Freedom to speak out like we used to in days of old. Before I was born or maybe in my very early, early, early days. Probably not. The freedom. Everybody knew America was a, a Christian, God-fearing, Jesus Christ nation. That's lost now. We've lost that confidence. We've cast it away. It means without concealment. Everybody thinks the, a new law has just taken pa- place in the last few years that you can now conceal and carry in Ohio. We've been concealing and carrying for years. Years. You say, you mean you always packed the gun? I'm not talking about that. The word, Bible says, have I hid in my heart. And we quit talking about it. We've concealed and carried it for years. My holster's my heart. The word is the weapon. We've lost our confidence, church. We don't have it anymore. Then we won't go out on the lamb and speak for God because we're afraid. In the song that you just sang, I want to step into your glory. I want to live in your presence. I'm not afraid anymore. That's what God's trying to do to us. To give us nourishment that we can do this. When you lose your confidence, this is going to be a horrible parallel, but I can't help it. doing what I can think of at the moment. I like playoff hockey, and I've lived in Pittsburgh all my life, so I'm rooting for the Penguins who are rated number one. Number one. It's like a walk to the park for them. And so at trade deadline, they made these cool trades. Now the guys that they got are a little older out of their prime, but they're Hall of Fame players that they just got to add to their weapons going into the playoffs. First series of playoffs, they win. Second series of playoffs, they win. All they got to do now is win one more and they're in the Stanley Cup. They never won another game. Somewhere in those first few games or first few minutes of that first game, they lost their confidence. They're noted as the highest scoring hockey team ever in hockey. They played four games. They scored two goals in four games. How can that be? They have the first and second best player. They lost their confidence. And they fell flat and lost to a, super, a, a subpar team than them. Out, kicked out, didn't even win a game. That's what happens when you lose your confidence. And we've lost it. We've cast it away. The word have I hidden my heart. We don't speak it out anymore. We've been afraid for so long now that we've lost confidence in God. We've lost confidence to stand out on that limb because we no longer believe God will back us up. Or if the enemy's going cutting that limb. We no longer believe God will keep us up. We've lost our confidence. That's why Mark, the father yelled out and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's why he cried and I believe that's us. Because I know that you believe, but you're like also like me. Lord, help my unbelief. The time is now, today, for us to decide to face our enemies. It's now. It's today. You need to tell the enemy today, it stops. No more pushing me around. No more bullying me around. No more being afraid. It stops today. And you say that in the strength of God, not you. But you have to be the one. 
You have to be the one that's got to face the limb and walk out there. That starts today. Because God's going to open doors. Great doors. Might be terrible looking doors. But He's going to call you to walk through them. It stops today. 1 Samuel 17, 45. Then said David to the Philistine, remember Goliath? Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Listen, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, who thou dare to defy. It stops today, Goliath. It stops today. This guy towered over David. Just like the situations you are in personally, and like we are in as a, a Christian little remnant in this nation. They tower over us. You don't even have the privacy of your cell phone anymore. Probably never had it. Here's the question. How is God, how does God get us go from being afraid and lost our confidence to running towards the enemy? I don't know how many years I got left, God. I don't know if there's enough years left in my life for you to take me from a wimp to a warrior. Unless you stop the sun again from moving. I mean, that's personally my way of thinking. Now, Pastor Bender, my pastor, was just here last Sunday. Was it last Sunday? And I've shared this with you, but now that you know him, maybe you'll get a little better insight. And he would come up here, and we were a small congregation. I mean, probably smaller than any of these sections here. And it was easy to see the 16 people or 29 people that we would have. And and a lot of times I'm up here and I want to... I try to ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to call on to pray? So when you see me standing here gawking, that's what I'm doing, Lord, who? I I want God to pinpoint the person. When Pastor Bender would do that, I would hide. It's the truth. And if he caught me off guard, I'd try to hide. Never front row Joe. There's nowhere to hide. If he caught me off guard, I would try to hide right behind the person that was in front of me. If the person went like this, I went. Because I didn't want him to see me. And at times when you're in church long enough, you know when prayer time comes and a few minutes right before prayer, you know what I would do? I'd get up and go to the men's room. I would. I'd go and hide. And I don't know if it, I can't remember if it had one of them hit air things. We was in a fire hall. That's where our church was. I'd flush the latrine, flush the commode, whatever it is, stick my head out sometimes. And if I hear someone going, amen, I go, come back out. Ready for the battle. I'd hide. It's the truth. But as I grew in God, I until I knew that God said, stop hiding. I didn't want to. Stop hiding. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with you doing 150,000 spiritual jumping jacks. Now you're ready. No, just stop hiding. If God calls on you, then He calls on you. He's not calling on you because you have this tremendous ability. He's calling on you because you have none. You're the fewest, is what He said. And that's what God told me. Stop hiding. That's how it started. Look, you might think, that's nothing, because a lot of you ain't hiders. But to a hider, that's an incredible victory. Where's my fellow hiders? Incredible victory. Incredible. I mean, sweats of blood drop when someone new walks in the church and i got to say hello. 
To some of you, it's ridiculous. But to us hiders, it's a tremendous victory. It is. And I don't say that in jest. I say that in truth. 1 Samuel 13, 5 says this. And the Philistines gathered themselves together. This is what's happening to us now. To fight with Israel. The fight is on. 30,000 chariots. 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. That's a boatload of folks. And they came up and pitched in Mishmath eastward from Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw them, they were in a strait. Absolutely. We can see the noose tightening now here in America. For the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves. We get in that situation, come see me, I know where they are. I've checked them all out. Plenty for all of us. Hide them in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. It's amazing where we'll go to hide. In pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Mean AWOL. They're leaving the church. Because the noose is tightening. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He was supposed to be their leader. The leader trembles, they tremble. Now this is a picture of the modern day American church. American church. We are outmatched. We are outnumbered. The sheer numbers of the enemy has beaten most of us into submission already. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Who's going to believe you? We are trembling because of the overwhelming odds of evil permeating through our nation today. And it's permeating. Either that or you're in a coma. Throughout the church, therefore, the church has resided itself. They've lost their confidence. There's been so many phony, fake preachers, phony moves of God. Silliness, dumbness. So therefore the church has resided itself to hiding themselves in thickets and caves, in work and in busyness. Looking for some hero to white his mount stallion and come his white stallion and come riding in. If you would look through the eyes of God in the mirror of God, you're the hero. You're on the stallion. You just don't know it. You're looking through your eyes. You're going. Now look. Here's what's going to happen. Remember the message a long time ago on the half acre. Remember that. Not so much the message. Remember the principle. Remember the half acre. You remember the 6,000 chariots and horsemen and 30,000 and all the people that are acres and acres and acres all aimed against you and God says, just take the first half acre. And no one does. Except for Jonathan. Remember Jonathan? It says, and Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his arm bearer after him, two people. Two people, all those people I've mentioned, the enemy has, these two go. His arm bearer, and they fell, and they fell before Jonathan and his arm bearer slew after him. At, and this first slaughter with Jonathan and his arm bearer made was about 20 men. You're going, what, 20 men? Are you kidding me? 20 men out of all that I named? So he goes, the first slaughter which Jonathan had his arm bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, and half acre of land. That half acre. See, the way we think, we're going, what's a half acre when they owned a million five hundred acres? Are you some fool preacher? That's because you've lost your confidence 
in what God can do. That's someone that goes out on the limb for God, knowing God will back him up. We've cast it away. And now we point. You fool. You crazy. Remember, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. Gee, man, he's, it's like a spit in a bucket. 20 people. But not when God's in the spit. Listen what happens. 1 Samuel 14, 15 says, There was trembling in the host. For just 20 people, that's what happened. There was some holy spit came upon those people. And when they found out only 20, they all started, what? What? We, we lost. We're, we're, we, we we're invincible. We can't lose. And I, that's what happened to the penguins. They lost that first game. They're like, what? Who remembers all the Rocky movies? Put your paws up so I know I'm talking. Okay, remember the Russian, the machine? And he's fighting him and he's getting beat like slop. Rocky always looked like, you know. And then he throws one something and he hit him and he, he bled. And his coach in the corner said, He does bleed! He bleeds! And then the Rocky music starts. One haymaker like and it hits him and he starts to bleed. He's not a machine. He's not a robot. The enemy doesn't have the upper hand. God will take him out. Get your confidence back. Throw the haymaker. It's exactly what happened. And they started to tremble. They couldn't believe. And that's what happened to the Penguins. Couldn't believe they went out and lost that first game at home. You never lose at home. They went out the second game. They lost 6-1. Weren't even in the game. It's a disgrace. They were done after that. That's where the American church is. We lost our confidence in the power and the Word of God. That the way men used to preach and the way men used to live for God and the way the church used to react to the Word of God. We've lost it. We don't even know where it is anymore. We don't even know what it is anymore. How it was. That's how bad, how far we are away from it. So now, all because of Jonathan and his arm bearer, the church gets a half acre victory when the enemy has 1.5 million acres. Everywhere we turn, the enemy has. You have to fight through your half acre of mockery and fear. You have to fight through it. You have to fight through your half acre that you can't or you won't be able to do anything. You've got to fight through that stuff. Through God, with God, in God. You just absolutely have to. Psalms 81.10 tells us this. I am the Lord thy God. Man, when you have confidence in God and you hear those words, man, you ought to shout, I am the Lord thy God. And he goes on and says, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. And we've been going, "Mm." we've been concealing and carrying forever. Forever, Dan. The Word, hid, not speaking. And God says, open it, and I'll fill it. Remember the bad report? The ten spies came back to give the people of God concerning the promised land. Man, them dudes are like giants. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. Stupid church. National Day of Prayer. Dumb stuff. VB it. Ridiculous. To the big giants of the world. Ten out of twelve of the church says, no way, we're done with history. It's over. Pack up the bags. Buy your dry bananas. Find a cave somewhere and live in it. How about Joshua and Caleb's reply? Now look, this is where you really got to tune in. If you've been tuning out for whatever reason, stop it. And listen, this is good stuff. Joshua 
the son of Nun. You have to figure this huge. Everything's against them. Everything's against them. Like you and I right now in America. So there's Joshua and Caleb, which were of them, and searched the land, and they rent their clothes when they heard the dumb reports of all the churches saying, well, yeah, dude, this is beyond that, man. We're just, there's no way. I'm not trusting. <clears throat> they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is exceedingly good land. It's good land. If the Lord delight in us, and He does, because we read that, God says, I love you, that He will bring us into this land, He will give us the land which floweth with milk and honey. Here's a key. Listen, church, listen. Only rebel not against the Lord. Don't rebel right now. Don't go, he's crazy. What's he had? Too many bowls of Cheerio this morning. He's crazy. Off his rocker. God says, don't rebel against my word. Listen what these two guys said. He goes, only don't rebel, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They're bread. It's exactly what these two, just two, out of the entire army of God. They're they're bread for us. Their defense has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Man, what a strange... How strange is it to consider that all that opposes us from within, without, could actually be bread for us. Bread. Not, oh my gosh, we can't do nothing. I'm just going to find a cave. No, God, God says go out and devour them. They're bread for us. See, look, you and I are so far removed from the power of God and doing anything for God that we can't even understand this. What? Nuh-uh. That's what those two said. The giants were in the land. Fortified cities. Ten of the twelve saying, you guys are crazy. We're not going. This is insane. We better turn around and go back to Egypt. Where's those onions? And the two rent their coats in disgust and said, what are you talking about? Those chumps are bread for us. All these oppositions that you're having to face right now. God says, don't you understand that's nourishment? Eat it! You're going to become strong by eating it, facing these oppositions. Today, decide to face those giants and say it stops now. Eat it! Take it as bread and nourishment for God and defeat them in Christ through God, obeying the Word. Oh, yes. I mean, what a strange. Who would have ever thought that all the opposition, the entire government, the whole White House, all the elected officials, all the laws, all the liberal judges, all the goofy judges, crazy judges, local judges. God said, that's bread for you, man. Take it on. Maybe one of us will just go, You understand what I'm doing, right? Start pulling your sword out and and believing God, even if it's like this. Okay, God, I believe. Oh, I hit something. He does bleed. Look, it's coming from a cave dweller. I mean, I got my cave dweller set up. It's nice comfortable. I don't hear anything. (sighs) Except I do hear one time God told me, he said, you can go so far back in your cave, buddy, and you're going to get lost and not be able to find your way out. And I went, oh God, oh God, no, I don't want to do that. And God's calling us. Out on that limb of faith, by God. God tells you, not what you think. Nourishment. They're bread. The opposition you're facing. 
the unsurmountable odds. You know, you're in the treading water, you're going down for the third time. God still says to you, it's nourishment for you. It's nourishment in all the world and all its system and all the people and half the 80%, 90% of the church is screaming, oh, no, we're history. Judges 14, 5. Listen to this one. Listen to this one. Then went Samson down uh, and his father, then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath. And he came to the vineyard of Timnath and behold, a young lion roared against him. You got any lions nipping at your heels? Because that's normally what we do. They don't nip at our toes. They nip at our heels because we're running. That's what we're doing. Out of nowhere came this young lion. And you know what the Bible talks about that? It talks about 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. Don't be intoxicated on the world. Okay? Like the penguins lost. You see me here preaching the word of God. My life's not over because they lost. You know, don't be intoxicated on stuff that the world dictates how you should be up or down. So it says be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary as the devil, as a roaring lion, comes out after you. So that you'll what? And you'll run right back into the cave. And that's what he does. He just kind of stands by your cave every once in a while. He goes, Roar! And you're like, I ain't going to run away. I'm not going. And that's what we're all doing, hiding in the thickets and behind the rocks and in the pits. And God says, I'm trying to give you nourishment. Go face dying. Turn around. Face them. It's an out-and-out attack from the enemy. What's going on now? Apparently, the enemy feels like the American church is too weak to do anything about it. So every day you get up, some weird law's coming. Somebody's snooping into this. Someone's in your business. Someone's now doing that. The enemy's saying, do what you want. They're not doing anything. Watch. Back in we go. Not even realizing that this, this opposition is to make us strong. It's bread for me. It's bread. So what happened? Verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily on him. That's what's going to happen to us. It's going to take a wimp instantly. He's going to go, come here. Because the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon us. It's what it says. God's no respecter of persons. He did it for them in their time of crisis. He'll do it for us. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, a small, and nothing was in his hands. He just shredded that lion. Can can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. What a confidence builder. You're standing over this thing. Blood all over you, and the enemy's totally just shredded in front of you. How awesome would that be? But in order to do that, you got to turn around and face the creep. It stops now. I'm done. It's nourishment. 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 What do you think David felt like after that victory? You think he went... Man, I'm so glad. No, he knew that God came on him. He knew that God gave him his tremendous, what a confidence builder. And that's what we need. We need confidence builders. And God's got divine oppositions for all of us as a whole and as individuals, whatever they are. Maybe you are your biggest opposition. God can handle you. He can. Now look what happens. So he shreds this thing to pieces. Okay? And verse 8 says, And after a time he returned again to take this woman, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the honey, uh, and honey in the carcass of the lion. Here's where it becomes nourishment. Look what it says in verse 9. And he took thereof in his hands, went on eating, came to his father and mother, and gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. 
I mean, listen, listen, listen. What was sent as a threat of his life and should have killed him turned out to be the nourishment for him and for others. What is sent to annihilate Christianity in America will be the nourishment for us and for others. Do you see it? It's the truth. We've got to walk through the fire to know what? We won't get burned. We can't just be a book. You've got to do it. You've got to experience it. Without, now look, this is what's happened to us. For all the years, we haven't had a whole lot of nothing happening to the church or America. Rooted for our team, bought your cheeseburger, bought your pet, picked out a wife, had a few kids, picked out a house, worked until you dropped. That's what's happened in America for the longest time. Now all of a sudden, things are different. They are different. And here's why. Without opposition, the church, you and I, the church becomes lazy. That's what happens without opposition. That's what's happened to us, to the American church. Nothing has caused us to get up off the couch. Nothing. And now the trumpets are being sounded. And hardly anybody's coming. No one's coming. They don't even know what's that sound. I haven't heard that. That'd be like the tornado whistle going off in Oklahoma and no one know what it's for. What? What the heck? Who's blowing that noisy thing? Without opposition, the church gets lazy. Look what happens to the church. She turns inward and seeks power without purpose. And that's what's happened. The church has sought power without purpose, which is a formula for spiritual delusion. And we are, don't even see right anymore. What? No, there's no suffering in God. You can do whatever you want. God's grace is there for you. That's what's happened from, you take another, our own doctrine. It's what's happened when the church comes to a place where she's no longer opposed, we decline. Not one of you got saved because everything was wonderful. Not one. You've only came to Christ because it was your last resort. Your life was so fouled up. Your mind was so crazy. You drank so much. You took drugs so much. You had no clue of nothing. And someone finally, and you said, huh? And you come to God. When we are not opposed, the church declines. And that has been the system that we have been in as long as I have been saved, which is pushing 40 years now. And all of a sudden, God says, enough. And it's going to start coming this way. Because we're realizing our freedoms are being taken. Christianity is despised. Christ is hated in our own nation. So God says, in order to get this group from wimps to warriors, they need opposition. They need opposition. You need a little victory here and there to all of a sudden start to make you think, in God I can't do. All the opposition facing you this morning, whatever it is, crazy kid, insane situation, unbearable, unbelievable debt, I mean, I just can't name. There's just too many that we get ourselves into. All this opposition facing the Church of America, the decline of good, solid preaching, the decline, and I forget how many pastors are quitting a month, 1,500 a month are quitting. Uh, It's all bread for us. It's all nourishment. What's ever facing you, you say, God, in you, God, I'll do it. Live or die, I'm God's. And you do it. You live for God. And I don't care if you're going like this. It doesn't matter. God will take these flimsy little weak arms and he'll go, 
And you'll think, and they'll bleed. You'll say, oh, it is bleeding. And the victories will start to come. A small, just like I told you. No more running and flushing the latrine. That's where it started for me. The urinal. And I could do that because there wasn't that many people. They didn't see me peeking out. And when he was done, then I stayed. And that's when it started. Those first, that first few weeks, sitting there not hiding. Uh, Brother Joe, will you pray? Lord, please. Uh, Absolutely. And then he moved on. And this is what he used to do. I don't know if he still does it well. He's sort of retired from pastoring. But he used to have something he would call 10 minutes. You remember that, babe? 10 minutes. And that was like right before church, he would pick somebody to come up and speak for 10 minutes of what God was doing in their life. And that was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Ten minutes! Put a fork in my eye! And for the longest time, you know, I'd deep down. And what, what, out of the blue, not knowing one day, I went, oh, Pastor Benner, you got ten minutes Sunday. That was a brutal week. It was a frightening. I'm telling you, if you're a hider, you'll come up and say, I understand where you're at. If you're afraid to speak in front of people, I told you I spent, well, I don't know if they do recess like they do, but in sixth grade, I had to do the Gettysburg Address. I refused to. I absolutely refused to panic to turn around and speak in front of people to say, you will spend recess all here in this room right now. And I said, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. And he was talking to a cave dweller. That was fine. Not that I have a, a, a done some great and wonderful things now. I'm not telling you that. But I still panic and fear things at times. I got another one looming ahead of me. If I get an official date, I will be telling you. And you better cry out to God for me. Look. Get serious, please. I'm sure as many as I see here, there's probably 10 situations in everybody's life. Something, some tremendous opposition, some heartache, some who knows, internal struggles, families. Who, I can't forget trying to figure them out. I just know that they go on. I want the, the band back up in that, that song that, I don't even know the name of it, Matt, wherever you are. I want to see his glory. Show me your glory. You get some of these lights, please. Patrick would be awesome. While this song is going on, this song is, look, they're not here to entertain, nor ever are they here to entertain. They're here to usher into the presence of God. And as that song goes, it's like, God, show me your glory. Even if you've got to say, God, God, I'm too afraid to even ask you to show me your glory. But I'll start there, God. That's where I'll start. I was too afraid to sit in the chair for fear that the pastor might call on me to pray 18 seconds or whatever it is. Please, if that's you, that's where you start is now, saying, it stops now. I'm done being afraid. God, show me your glory, trusting that he'll give you whatever you need, whatever you have to face. Respond. Oh, respond. Our elders are open. Please. Please.